Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best way to buy tickets. Download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and save $20 off your first purchase by using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of October 1st, 2018. Ah, yes, October baseball, where we will have two Game 163s to decide the National League Central and West divisions, followed up by a one-game wildcard playoff games on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the start of the five-game divisional series this upcoming weekend. Pretty exciting stuff, as we'll make our postseason predictions later in the show, and we hope you tag along to make yours as well. But for the Chicago White Sox, they end the season poorly, losing their last five games and eight of their last nine to finish 62-100, and 100, the first 100-loss season since 1970. So unless you are over the age of 50, 2018 is the worst season record of your lifetime following the White Sox. Joining me to recap the final series is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. I guess we shouldn't be surprised on how the White Sox finished the season based on all that we've endured. In the end, are you sad or relieved this season is over? I am relieved. It's It would have been sad if they had a September similar to last season where Guys ended the season on upswings, and you'd like to see somebody like Yohan Makata or Tim Anderson or uh, Lucas Giolito really 
you know, playing to their potential and not wanting to see it stop. But with all the, you know, Reynaldo Lopez is basically the only guy who had a September you really want to kind of pin a whole season around. I think Makata improved towards the end, and uh, we'll get to that in P.O. Sox a little bit more in depth. But otherwise, it was just a lot of guys kind of uh, treading water at best and sinking at worst. And, you know, when you see a guy... When you see the way Carlos Rodon finished and the way Giolito finished, I think everybody is is kind of relieved the season is over. I am relieved that the season is over. It's a little bit of both because, you know, it sucks. When your team isn't playing any more games and you love the game of baseball, it just sucks when the regular season's over because now you have to wait until late March before you get to see regular season action. And sure, the playoffs are great to watch, and I'm sure the playoffs are going to be very exciting this year. And you got spring training games that really don't mean anything in February and March as a great appetizer. But it's a long break. <laughs> it's a long break before games start counting again. And for the White Sox this year, just running down the list of numbers, they were 30 and 51 at home. They fared better on the road, 32 and 49. At the All Star break, they were 33 and 62. After the All-Star break, they were 29 and 38, so progress. The best month was in August where they were 17 and 12. Their worst month was in April when they were 6 and 18. They finished September 8 and 19. It's the same record as they had in May. They were 30 and 46 against the American League Central. They scored 656 runs and they allowed 848 runs, which is Oh, gee, that's bad. That is a lot of runs allowed during the season. So I guess the question is, Jim, can it only go up from here? I should hope so. <laughs> it's, they're really, you know, if it doesn't, then I think the White Sox are in trouble. This should be rock bottom. And I know we've talked about it before, you know, trying to establish it. I've written about it before, you know, and I think rock bottom with this kind of rebuild is more of a... Yeah, I don't know if there's a specific moment. I, I think it's something that's more of a bigger concept. And I think, you know, a year might be enough to encapsulate it. Uh, and, you know, finishing a season with three months where they didn't even get 10 wins, or actually uh, four months where they didn't get 10 wins, April, May, July, and September all finished with single-digit win totals. That seems rock bottomy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have a future piece about what the playoff teams have been able to do. If you enjoyed the piece of looking at what constitute as an average lineup, looking at the last 10 years of numbers, I've done that for the playoff teams just because I want to know what it takes for a team to go into the postseason and how far away the White Sox are from that. And I can tell you the runs allowed, the White Sox are going to have to reduce that by at least 200 <laughs> before we could consider them mm, to be a postseason contender. 848 runs allowed. Man, even if the White Sox had the 2,000 White Sox lineup, I don't know if they could <laughs> manage to still get over 848 runs. I mean, that's just incredible on how many runs they allowed. Uh, because of this poor season, the White Sox will now have the third pick in the 2019 Major League Baseball draft. And the importance of that is that their draft pool, unless they make some key signings, which we'll talk about that later in P.O. Sox, as you guys had questions about the offseason, we're estimating about 11 to $12 million. That would be the draft pool for the Chicago White Sox in 2019, with about $7 million of that assigned to the third pick. And your top five picks are the Baltimore Orioles, 
The Kansas City Royals will draft ahead of the White Sox, followed up by the Marlins and the Tigers. So, Jim, you have three American League Central teams that will have a pick in the top five of next year's draft. Does that water down any tanking advantage the Sox are hoping for via the draft? It. I would say it doesn't, um, with the White Sox being a year, you know, theoretically a year ahead of the Royals and Tigers when it comes to rebuilding. I think that it, um, you know, allows them to keep the pace being this bad. And I guess the one good thing about losing five straight games in the season is that the Tigers tried to <laughs> sink to the White Sox level for the second straight year. Last year, they, uh, they really took tanking to new heights or depths in September, just kind of plummeting past everybody the top overall pick and and this year they tried to do at the end uh, and with the facing the Brewers and the Brewers had plenty to play for and the Tigers didn't and saw how that worked out with an 11 nothing uh Milwaukee win at the end of the season but White Sox held them off this time and so they'll pick ahead but yeah the the hope is that the White Sox you know th- this is like the last year where the White Sox can uh you know where drafting really matters and and where all these draft picks in the uh, top 10 uh, picks and you know all this kind of draft pool advantage should start to take root uh, with the major league level and and building a major league team also with talking about trades and farm depth I uh, you know when it comes to uh, you know the central you mentioned three teams picking in the top four or top five um, this seems like the year and I think it bolsters the argument that this is the year the White Sox should improve the major league team with signings or trades, you know, whether it comes to, you know, uh, Manny Machado like types or whether it comes to trading guys who are major league ready. Uh, the central could be a mess maybe as soon as next year with you know, the difficult choices the Indians have and the twins are having a hard time putting it all together. So the White Sox really, yeah, I think they need to separate themselves from the Tigers and Royals, even if it doesn't quite get them to, you know, 85 plus wins that it might take to make themselves interesting in the central. It seems like they should, really try to get in the 70s, yeah, I would say mid to upper 70s this year if, you know, it doesn't require them, you know, making all these kind of acquisitions that ultimately watered down what they're able to do with the payroll going forward. We'll have a season recap for each of the position groups in future episodes of the podcast, so you guys can look forward to that, which you, our listeners, will have the opportunity to join the show and give us your thoughts about the key position areas. So definitely look out for the invites regarding that. But looking at the final series of four games in three days as the White Sox lost all four, including the doubleheader on Friday, you have two one-run games, close games, and then two clunkers uh, that Lucas Giolito and Carlos Rodon both started, and Carlos Rodon couldn't even get out of the second inning. That's not the way that we want to see Rodon go out in 2018, but the fact that he did get a chance to pitch and take on some starts after the shoulder surgery. I guess you could spin that as a positive. Uh, And Lucas Giolito, he had some ups, but mostly this season was downs. And again, we'll break those seasons down further when we recap the pitchers. But for Ronaldo Lopez and Dylan Covey, would you say that these final starts for them were finishing 2018 on a high note? With Covey, I would say Lopez, yes. Uh, Covey, kind of. Um, just because he did throw three scoreless innings to start the game. And I think with Covey, um, you know, maybe he'll be stretched out in the starting next year, depending on their needs or depending how they break spring training. You know, I, I ultimately think he's going to be in the bullpen, but I could see the case where, say, if a guy gets hurt in spring training or, you know, 
they're they're short a starter for the first couple weeks of the season. I can't see him stepping up in a spot starter type role. But ultimately, I like Covey as a bullpen guy, as you know, mid leverage, potentially high leverage. You know, depending on I would say high leverage for earlier innings, like sixth, seventh, more of a bridge type guy. He has that kind of future, and I think every time he goes out, even if it's ultimately frustrating that he he gets. Uh, whacked around you know the fourth fifth and sixth innings i think the fact that he can throw you know two scoreless innings three scoreless innings pretty easily ultimately bodes well for a major league future and i think a year ago nobody was thinking about that way about Kobe. so i i think uh you know ultimately it's a plus for him even if it's not a plus for his starting future yeah speaking as far as high notes i know we'll talk about you on makata later as far as in the show but that was the only thing that I took away positive was the fact that Mikata hit four doubles in this series, but in his last at bat of the year, despite all of the struggles and the White Sox down by one, he able to double off the left field wall, an opposite field double and get himself into second base into scoring position to be the game tying run. And in classic White Sox fashion, they can't even get him to third base. Uh, but I, I found that was the only positive takeaway other than Ronaldo Lopez's start, I, sh- I guess I should say, uh, in the first game, the doubleheader on Friday uh, from this series. And that at least we got a chance to see that. At least Mikata in his last at bat of the season did that. He got another double. He had 33 on the year. I consider that at least in that at bat ending on a high note and something to take away from 2018. But in the final game of this series, for those that did watch, uh, a lot of attention to Joe Maurer, multiple standing ovations. His daughters greeted him on the field before the game, before his first at bat, got a standing ovation. And then he actually geared up as a catcher in the ninth inning. And he caught one pitch in the ninth inning, which he had to ask you and Mikata to take that first pitch. And Mikata obliged. Uh, and Joe Maurer got his current call. And we talked about this before recording, Jim. It sounds like that Joe Maurer hasn't made it official. I'm assuming that he's retiring. How do you feel about how that final game went, uh, especially with the crowd reactions for Joe Maurer? It seems like it. Um, I, I watched the Minnesota feed for the last inning just to see all the Maurer-related festivities afterwards. You know, the White Sox being on WGN especially where they're on a tighter schedule with the post-game show. I wanted to see, you know, how the twins or, 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 you know, whether it's the twins, whether it's the fans, you know, whether, you know, Maurer said anything to the, um, you know, sideline reporters afterwards, but no, he, after the game, he said that, uh, he wanted to take, you know, he wanted to take a little bit of time to see how the, you know, he feels once all the emotions died down and his off season preparation begins or, you know, when he needs to start preparing for the off season. Given his personality and given, um, I guess, the fact that he has such deep Minnesota roots, um, you know, born there, raised there, played there, hasn't played anywhere else, hasn't been drafted by anywhere else, you know, is, you know basically everything centered there. It seems like uh, he might want to see what his uh, future is with the Twins, if they can accommodate him. If not, I don't see him going anywhere else. It seems like he's pretty content. And I think... Uh, you know, it was kind of it was really nice the way the twins did it with the yeah I, I thought he was going to be lifted for a pinch runner after his double and and the fact that he got a opposite field double on a full count in his last at bat is a nice way to go out it's a very Maurer-esque way to go out um I thought they would lift him for a pinch runner he'd go off to a standing ovation but I really like the idea of him suiting up that was a nice touch 
So it's it's kind of like Michael Jordan hitting the last shot <laughs> away, uh, you know, with, with the Bulls, and then uh, you think he's you know ended his career on the perfect note, and then he you know comes back to the Wizards, and I think uh, with with Maurer suiting up for another team, it would kind of feel like uh, a, a Wizards era Maurer, and I don't know if he wants to do that, but it was kind of nice to have it just be a purely local thing and you know, after all these you know high profile retirement tours even with Knurko, you know he got a you know a lot of uh, receptions around the league especially the central opponents and yeah you know, i think it would have been kind of nice for mauer to have that with the central opponents uh you know i think i think the Sox would have had plenty to give and plenty to say about mauer uh based on all the head-to-head battles they've had but it's kind of nice to have an old school um you know, player appreciation just in, you know, I guess more of an intimate local event and, and the Twins fans certainly certainly showed up for it. Yeah, Joe Maurer, if he does retire, uh, had a great career. 15 years in the majors, six-time All-Star. He was the 2009 MVP, three-time Gold Glover, five-time Silver Slugger. He finished his career with 55 wins above replacement, according to BaseballReference.com. In his career, he earned over $218 million, Jim, with the Minnesota Twins. Damn. That, that's that's a lot of money. I did not... Especially from the Twins. Especially from the Twins. Yeah, absolutely. Where the Twins were paying him $23 million from 2011 season all the way to 2018. The best praise I can give Joe Maurer is that I hated him playing against the White Sox. And I mean that in the most respectful way, because when you look back at those Twins teams in the mid to late 2000s, that always found a way, it seemed like, to finish ahead of the White Sox. Joe Maurer will be the first player I remember from those teams. If he does retire, Jim, what are your thoughts as far as what his lasting legacy will be? Well, you know, you mentioned that it hated seeing him, and it was also fun to beat him. Like, he was so good that when, you know, whether it was uh, Chris Sale blowing him away in his first uh, head-to-head matchup, making Maurer look silly, you know, all the battles with Matt Thornton and the lefty specialist, the, the great lefty-lefty matchups, when you beat him and you made him look bad, it felt good. So, you know, that's a testament to his talent, too, but... He's going to have an interesting Hall of Fame case just because they're, you know, being a catcher and, and being how good of a catcher he was, it's really tough to make the Hall of Fame behind the plate. Just careers are so short. The counting numbers always come up a bit short compared to the standard Hall of Famer. And a lot of times uh, voters uh, and even committees are just really slow to come around on just how grueling it is to, you know, rack up counting stats behind the plate. And the fact that he finished with over 2,000 hits had a really good peak as a catcher. Um, you know, he's got a case. Um, I'm not sure if he quite gets there, but he should hang around the ballot a little bit. And I imagine some, you know, analytical types, especially those who are, you know, have fought the catcher wars before, you know, with guys like um, uh, Ted Simmons and uh, you know, Joe Torre a little bit, um, you know, the, these unappreciated catchers from, you know, past eras. Uh, I think Maurer will be the new... Um, I guess the new battleground for that particular argument. Yeah, if you use Jaws, which is, I is it the number one way to grade as far as Hall of Fame? Yeah, for one number, it's pretty solid. It's a good starting point. It's probably the best starting point, put it that way. Okay, so according to Jaws, Joe Maurer is the seventh best catcher all time in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Johnny Bench is first, Gary Carter second, Ivan Rodriguez just got voted into the Hall of Fame is third, Carlton Fisk is fourth, Mike Piazza is fifth, and Yogi Berra is sixth. Bill Dickey is eighth, and he is also in the Hall of Fame. 
And yeah, you mentioned as far as not many Hall of Famers, I think there's only 15 catchers in the Hall of Fame. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Wow. Wow. I didn't dig too deep, but as we were having this conversation, man, yeah, it's going to be tough. It, it, that is a, that's going to be a conversation starter. It'll really depend as far as what the Hall of Fame class and what the ballot looks like, right? If he does decide to retire in five years. I don't know if he's a first-time entry into the Hall of Fame. Um, it's it's going to be kind of like Tim Raines, I think, in that you know, a lot of people will remember the guy who was a underwhelming first baseman, you know, had a nice batting eye, but didn't really hit for the kind of power and production that a first baseman gets kind of like Tim Raines, you know, he had that massive peak in Montreal and then, you know, spent the you know larger part of his career as more of a role player um, and, and not as electrifying as he was during his peak. And, you know, that seemed to be forgotten about and took a while for the, you know, it took basically the, uh, entirety of his Hall of Fame case and, and period on the ballot to get him across the line. And I think Maurer might face that kind of battle unless he somehow, you know, unless I guess the electorate of the Hall of Fame somehow changes shape enough to where there are younger voters or more analytically informed voters who are, you know, less inclined to change their mind over the course of 10 years and are more of a binary yes-no case early on. So with Joe Maurer possibly retiring, we know Victor Martinez is retiring. Who is next on the all-time White Sox killer list that can call it quits, Jim? <laughs> huh. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, if they're all going to leave, leave now. That's how I look at it. Make yeah, it a Miguel, little bit easier. Well, Miguel Cabrera is still around. Yeah, that's true. And he's going to be around for a while, as long as the contract holds up. Yeah. And, I guess that'll be the next one. Yeah, unless somehow, you know, he, he makes, you know, kind of like a David Wright situation where he kind of hangs around for insurance. But yeah. Yeah, and David Wright is retiring. He's still got some baseball left. Yeah. Yeah, David Wright is also retiring. And that was a nice moment in Queens on Saturday night. Unfortunately, injuries just sapped his career. He's another player that reached 50 wins above replacement and... He just had a terrific career, but again, just sapped because of injuries. Um, but yeah, it's, it happens every season, it seems like. But there are some big names, especially those that gave White Sox a hard time in Victor Martinez and possibly Joe Maurer retiring after the 2018 season. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the Major League Baseball postseason and preview as far as the Game 163s, the wild cards, and the start of the Divisional Series next on the Sox Machine Podcast. A quick word from our sponsor, RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar. What does that mean? Our bars are made with real whole ingredients. We want to be transparent and upfront with our customers, which is why we label the core ingredients like egg whites, dates, and nuts on the front of the package and the flavor components on the back. Beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes, RX bars actually taste delicious. We found creating a bar made from real whole food ingredients actually tastes better than anything out there. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's definitely an RX bar for you as there are no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives or fillers. RX bars come in 14 different delicious flavors like mango pineapple, chocolate hazelnut, peanut butter and berries. 
And a couple of my favorites, chocolate sea salt and blueberry. And RX bars are great for a number of occasions. I always eat an RX bar for breakfast on the go as I head downtown on the train. You could also use it as a snack at the office like I do. And late afternoon when my sweet tooth kicks in, that chocolate sea salt RX bar does the trick for me. And now RX bar has debuted a RX nut butter which contains a few simple and similar ingredients like egg whites, fruits, and nuts. Each single-serve packet contains delicious, creamy nut butter with 9 grams of high-quality protein. It's squeezable and spreadable, which pairs great with fruits, rice cakes, pretzels, or straight out of the pouch. And those nut butter flavors are honey, cinnamon, peanut butter, peanut butter, and vanilla almond butter. Best part for Sox Machine listeners is that you get to save 25% off your first order. All you have to do is visit rxbar.com slash socks and enter promo code socks at checkout. Again, for 25% off your first order at rxbar, just visit rxbar.com slash socks and enter promo code socks at checkout. What a final day of the regular season, especially for the teams of the National League Central and the National League West, as the Milwaukee Brewers and Chicago Cubs were playing for the divisional title, and the Colorado Rockies and Los Angeles Dodgers were doing the same for the West. And all four teams had huge victories, completely blowing out their opponents, and quite frankly, stamping as far as what we'd be watching on Monday Game 163s to determine the division winners. Now, all four teams are going into the postseason. So the losers of these two games will have to play against one another in the one-game wildcard playoff on Tuesday. And that's where we're going to start as far as our Major League postseason predictions here as we'll make all of our predictions for the postseason so you guys can make fun of us uh, as far as how right on we are and probably how far off we were uh, as far as when it comes to the Major League Baseball postseason. But Jim, I always find Game 163s fascinating. Just 10 years ago, the White Sox and Minnesota Twins went through what we call the blackout game, one of the most, my, one of my favorite games ever as being a Chicago White Sox fan and how grueling and just how intense that is as far as a fan experience to go through that. And this year, we're going to have two game 163s. And let's start in the National League Central because I really did not feel like the Milwaukee Brewers were going to chase down the Chicago Cubs. They did. They're going to play at 12 p.m. Central time at Wrigley Field as the Brewers would be at the Cubs. It's Jolie Chassin for the Milwaukee Brewers starting against Jose Quintana for the Chicago Cubs. Again, there's not that much riding in the line. Both teams are going to be in the postseason. But how do you feel about this game 163 between the Brewers and Cubs? Well, you know, I like the Brewers. I mean, just the way they've been playing. The uh, I think the Cubs kind of pushed them around earlier this season, if I'm remembering correctly. I forgot to look that up yes. before. But, uh, you yeah, know, the Brewers have figured out a way to solve them. And I think uh, now it's basically, I, I don't think there's any kind of... Um, uh, edge uh, i would say between the teams um and and i think the way you know christian yelich finished and that kind of changed our mvp argument from last week <laughs> just mm-hmm. because I, I thought it was Degrom for the mvp but now the way yelich put a stamp on the season I, I think you can make the argument that um you know this is a christian yelich season as much as it is a jacob Degrom season so um i'm fine with either one there but 
yeah, I, I would just feel better about picking the Brewers if it weren't Jose Quintana pitching because I don't want to see. I, I I would like to see the Cubs have to sweat out two elimination games this week, but I, I don't want it to be because Quintana flopped. I guess is my argument. Yeah, it really depends on how the bullpen locks it down, right? After Quintana, unless yeah. Quintana pitches a complete game, which would be very impressive. But this is why the Cubs were willing to trade away Ilya Jimenez and Dylan Cease to get Jose Quintana to help out in this situation so they don't have to tax some of their other starting pitchers like Kyle Hendricks or John Lester. They can line these guys up, especially if the bullpen, let's say, they can't hold the lead and the Brewers win this game. As you mentioned, Jim, uh, they would be hosting that one-game wildcard playoff on Tuesday. So whoever wins this game, they're going to the NLDS. They will have home field advantage in the National League for the postseason. The loser will be hosting the loser of the National League West game 163. So who do you got in the National League Central, Jim? Who do you think will win on Monday between the Brewers and the Cubs? Going to go with Milwaukee. All right. Especially, I, I think if they can get the game to Josh Hader, that's a huge advantage. He's been struggling too, though, as of late. Yeah, I, but I think he's got, I think he's been able to rest up a bit. So I'm hoping in a one game sample that the uh, the season averages will work in their favor. All right. I'm going against you. I'm going to go with the Cubs just because Jose Katana has been really good against the Milwaukee Brewers this year. And I think home field advantage will pay out for the Cubs Rockies and Dodgers in Los Angeles. It's Jermaine Marquez against Walker Bueller. Marquez has been very good against the Dodgers. He is two and zero with a 2.35 ERA and Walker Bueller has been very impressive for the Dodgers I think this game is going to be the wild one where it will get off the rails. I'm thinking like 9-8 is going to be the final score, Jim. Uh, How do you feel about this game and who do you think wins? Yeah, I could see that being the case just because, I mean, both Bueller and and Marquez have been good. But with young starters and a high, with not quite a winner take all just because they do have the wild card game as a fallback. But, you know, the stakes being what they are, I think they... Uh, especially saw Dave Roberts last year in the World Series. Just, you know, if, if things aren't going well, they pull the plug and gets in the um, yeah, bullpen earlier and things kind of go haywire, especially National League with uh, double switches and such. So, yeah, I could get nuts. Um, I guess I'm going with the Dodgers just because they've been playing like the capital D Dodgers as of late. And I think, you know, when they're playing the way they are and with the resources they have and depth they have, I think they just... A little bit scarier than the rest of the field. Yeah, I asked on Twitter for people that follow me, which you can follow me on Twitter, at SoxMachine underscore Josh. 150 votes, 53% picked the Dodgers over the Rockies. So pretty close out of the 150. That's kind of how I feel about it. Like, leaning towards the Dodgers, but not, I mean, one game, you, you never know. But just in terms of gut feeling, or if I had to put money on it, just be that slim a margin. I am going with the Dodgers as well. I'm going with home field advantage here for these two one game 63s. But again, I do expect it to be pretty close. I, I, I think both Milwaukee and Colorado have really, really good chances of winning these 163s. Uh, of course, going to Twitter and when you're asking a bunch of White Sox fans how they feel who's going to win between the Brewers and Cubs, uh, 83% Jim believe the Brewers <laughs> are going to be the Cubs. <laughs> and yeah, I, I just think with uh, watching Lorenzo Kane against uh, Jose Quintana over the years, kind of. Ooh, good call. Th- there's enough of White Sox. There's enough White Sox overlap, I think, you know, watching the, uh, the Brewers and Cubs play that, yeah, just 
leaning Milwaukee still. Okay. So for you, the National League wild card would be Colorado at the Chicago Cubs. So the Rockies Sunday played at home in Denver, flew to Los Angeles to play the 163 game, lost that game according to you, and now they have to fly to Chicago to play another one-game playoff. Who do you have winning that game between the Rockies and the Cubs? I'll go with the Cubs. Okay, and then for me, it's Rockies at the Brewers, which, again, same thing. I'm going to go with the Brewers in that game. I really like the Rockies, and I would like the Rockies to go deep in the postseason. Yeah. But this is not faring well as far as travel. Yep, me too. I don't know. Maybe that is going to be really important for the National League West team that you're really going to want to win that game. Because for Milwaukee and Chicago, I mean— Either or, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's it's a day trip. If not even that, it's like an hour and a half to go from Wrigley Field to Milwaukee if you can get ahead of traffic. Uh, so not not a lot of travel for those two teams. Uh, can't say the same between Denver to Los Angeles and then whoever loses that game has to fly out to either Milwaukee or Chicago. Uh, so then with you picking the Brewers to win the National League Central. So the National League Divisional Series, you have the Brewers having home field for five games against the Cubs. For me, I have it vice versa. I have the Cubs with the five-game home field advantage against the Brewers. So in a five-game series, after their one-game, Game 163 matchup, who do you think would win that five-game series between the Brewers and Cubs? (sighs) Yep. (laughs) <laughs> That's how I feel too. <laughs> kind of leaning the Cubs just because of, you know, maybe with a shorter rotation, they're able to get more out of it. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm going with the Cubs as well. I think the Cubs would beat the Brewers in the National League Divisional Series. So then for the flip side, we both had the Dodgers winning the West. So the Dodgers are going to face the Braves in the National League Divisional Series, and the Dodgers will have home field advantage in that five-game series. How do you feel about this? Do you like the Braves' chances in this National League postseason? Uh, not typically, just because um, you know the, the East was a pretty weak division this year, and they did kind of lag down the stretch, but nobody could pose a challenge to them. The Phillies you know, fizzled at the end of the year. The Nationals basically were 500 all year long. So the, the Braves were kind of the best of a weak lot, but... Given that they can just kind of sit back and watch the carnage, it's, uh, uh, you know, they are in an interesting spot in, in being able to line everybody up and rest the bullpen and, and get everything the way they want to. But I still like the Dodgers, I think. I like the Dodgers as well. I think the postseason experience is going to play a factor between the Dodgers and the Braves. The Braves are really young. I mean, they could, you know, have that whole chip on their shoulder. We don't know any better, right? Uh, as far as in that five-game series. But I, I think the experience is going to help Los Angeles in that five-game series, which means for the third year in a row, we're gonna, we are gonna have Cubs against Dodgers in the National League Championship Series, Jim. I, I think it – I felt it was inevitable. After the Dodgers won the National League Championship Series last year, I, I said it on Twitter – we're going to have the same matchup again next year between the Cubs and Dodgers in the National League Championship Series. And I still feel strongly about that. If these two teams do play against each other in a seven-game series, which the Cubs this time will have home field advantage, how do you feel about that type of series between the Cubs and Dodgers? I kind of like the Dodgers, I think. Hmm. 
Why is that? Just because they're deeper and the Cubs have been kind of compromised all year, whether it's with their defense, um, you know, um, with Bryant being iffy and Rizzo kind of having a down year, they've been better towards the end of the year, I think, uh, both of them. But, you know, being a little bit compromised in the middle defensively with Murphy, uh, you know, having to deal with his glove or, you know, moving Zobrist around. Whereas the Dodgers seem to have their depth chart lined up more to be kind of complete and, and swappable and matchable and everything. And I think I just like them mobilized more, I guess, over the course of a seven-game series. Hmm. How many games do you think it would take? I want to say... Do you think this would be a seven-game uh, I mean, series? or? It's, I don't feel particularly strongly, but I think you know, it could be uh, five or six. Hmm. Wow. I mean, not not. it won't be like a, a lopsided affair, you know, and it won't be getting the doors blown off them, but yeah, I think it could be like a tight five or six game series. I just feel last year there was the revenge factor for the Dodgers that really sparked their play. I'm going to go with the Cubs for this, using that revenge factor that if the Cubs and Dodgers do face against each other again in the National League Championship Series, I think the Cubs will exact revenge against the Dodgers. I just like their starting rotation a little bit better right now than the Dodgers. Both teams, I am incredibly worried about their bullpen. Like Kenley Jensen, like physically, what condition is he going to be in? For the Cubs, I've got no clue who's closing out these games. Yeah, And maybe maybe that'll be their Achilles heel uh, as far as in, in this postseason. But I just think that the Cubs will find a way. They will find a way if they face the Dodgers to win that series. And I think it'll go six games. So I have the Cubs going back into the World Series. And based on going through this practice of the bracket, you got the Dodgers representing the National League in the World Series. You feel confident in that pick, Jim? Not really with the National League. I think I like American League teams more than National League teams. Just you have stronger feelings about them. I could be Hawk Harrelson here in which I don't pay attention to the National League <laughs> or like, you know, watch them closely enough to, um, you know, the, the, I, I don't see them day by day enough to have strong individual feelings about team, but just kind of getting the sense of the courses of their seasons and the way they roll out lineups and who's been hurt and who's been available. Uh, yeah, I could very much just see this, you know, kind of rolling the dice and, you know, coming away at the Brewers being the National League um, champ and not being phased by it. Yeah, while the National League has all the attention the first two days of the postseason, Monday and Tuesday, the Oakland Athletics will be playing at the New York Yankees in the one-game playoff on Wednesday night. And I find this matchup to be a bit fascinating because we're going to have Pretty much the battle of bullpens and both Oakland and New York have very good bullpens against each other. It'll be interesting to see if that strategy for all nine innings is going to be able to neutralize one of these high powered offenses, especially slugging offenses. So starting with the American League wildcard game, Jim, who do you like between the athletics or the Yankees? I want to see Oakland's magic extended for one more series. I'm going to go with Oakland. All right. I'm voting with my heart there. It's okay. I I admire that. I'm going with the Yankees. I think the Yankees will find a way to win on their home field. Now, I don't they have lost a one-game playoff before in Yankee Stadium against the upstart Houston Astros. And that could totally happen here again with the Oakland Athletics, which the Athletics have been terrific since June. I think it's going to be a fascinating game, like I mentioned before, and it'll be a very good one. So the winner of that game 
has the privilege <laughs> of starting the American League Divisional Series on Friday night at Boston. So for you, you have Oakland at Boston in the American League Divisional Series. How do you think that series will shake out? Boston's weird to me just because of the rotation questions. Yeah, you know, nobody really knows what Chris Sale has. Mm-hmm. David Price has been wobbly. I mean, it's they're a hundred eight win team, but I don't. You know, when it comes to um, you know the ability to, I guess they can overcome bad starts, but um, I could also see them being kind of like a uh, you know Mariner story, two thousand Mariner or two thousand one Mariner story, where they just kind of you know, had this amazing regular season and don't quite get there, and then you know, fans are just kind of wondering what it was all for but i think they can win the first round i, I think the wild card game especially against a team that you know might have to rely more on its bullpen and less on starting you know one great start you know might have their bullpen kind of uh uh not quite in order so i can't see boston winning the first round there i think oakland can push boston to five games yeah no I, i'm not a huge fan of boston right now just with the way their pitching has kind of bailed on them So in the end, you're going to go with Boston over Oakland? Yep. Okay. Yep. So for me, it'd be the Yankees and the Red Sox in a five-game series, uh, which I find that to be bizarre just because we're so used to the American League Championship Series between the two teams over the years. And for the same reasons that you mentioned with Boston, I'm going to go with the Yankees over the Red Sox. Five games, Yankees win at Fenway. It would be a shocker. I'm... With us both, you know, doubting Boston watch to win every playoff game this year uh, on their way to another <laughs> world title. Okay, so we have Boston. You have Boston against Oakland. You have Boston beating Oakland. I have Boston against New York. I have New York beating Boston, upsetting them to go to the American League Championship Series. On the other side of the American League Divisional Series, you have the Houston Astros against the Cleveland Indians. And... I want to say this is going to be a sweep by Houston because Cleveland, outside of the American League Central this year with their win-loss record, is a below 500 team. They have not fared well outside of divisional games. But then you look at that starting rotation of Kluber, Carrasco, Clevenger, maybe Trevor Bauer can give you five or six innings. That's strong. And they do have Brad Hand and Andrew Miller... Looks like he's back on track and you still have to deal with Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez. So while I want to doubt the Indians and don't really believe in them, something tells me they're going to give Houston a tougher time than expected. How do you feel about this divisional matchup? Yeah, I I agree that their pitching can match up. I just really like, you know, when it comes to, I guess, trying to make informed decisions about a, you know, small sample, uh, um, you know, basically just running lotteries for three series. I just like the way Houston's built. You know, Verlander's finishing the season. He's my Cy Young pick. And then you have you know, Verlander Cole. You have a very modular pitching staff with, uh, I think McCullers and Morton are, you know, at least uh, available for, you know, their kind of multi-inning role, if not starting. Um, you know, they have the experience of kind of uh, A.J. Hinch just, rolling them out there and, and having them pitch multiple innings and, and, you know, finishing the games themselves if they feel up to it. So, um, you know, with the offense in full working order, Oakland gave them a scare, but they've gotten everybody back, I think. So I, I just like the way Houston's built. And I, I think in some cases, you know, maybe the injuries and, and um, you know, time missed maybe um, 
helps them avoid the you know massive playoff innings and workloads from last year. <sighs> yeah, I think it's gonna be a tougher series for Houston than expected. But with that being said, I, I could still see I see Houston winning this in four really tough games in which Cleveland really makes them sweat. So I have Houston beating Cleveland. I sounds like you agree as well. Yep. Okay. So that sets up the American League Championship Series. For you, Jim, you have the Boston Red Sox against the Houston Astros. For me, I have a rematch of last year. I have a rematch of last year's championship series. Dodgers, Cubs, Yankees, Astros. For you, Boston and Houston, the two best teams in the American League during the regular season. How do you think that will play out? Well, I had the Astros as my preseason World Series pick, so I'll stick with them. All right, so you have a rematch of the last year's World Series between Houston and Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I which is boring, and <laughs> but that's why, like, I'm tempted to think just Milwaukee will get all the way there. Just I don't, I feel stronger about Houston than I do about. Uh, I'm really disappointed yeah. by the Cardinals. <laughs> they disappointed me on a personal. That defense level. could not pull it together in the end. Nope. Oh, I know, Jim. Well, for me, my World Series at the preseason was Cubs and Yankees. And as long as that stays alive, I'm going to roll with it. I, I don't know how the Yankees would beat the Astros in a seven game series other than just trying to simply out slug them. But maybe this is where having Glaber Torres and Miguel Andujar on the seasons that they have had as rookies could really help make this lineup deeper with John Carlston and Aaron judge. And maybe Didi Gregorius, if he turns it on, that there's a little bit more firepower this time around for the Yankees than last year, which the Yankees definitely gave the Astros a scare, taking them to seven games. I'm going to stick with the revenge factor. I have the Yankees in the World Series beating the Astros in the American League Championship Series. So for you, Jim, you have Dodgers against the Astros, like we just mentioned, a rematch of last year's World Series. How do you think that will fare? I still like Houston. So you have... A repeat of last year's World Series and back-to-back champion Houston Astros. The first time since the Yankees, right? Late 90s? It's been like 20 years. I believe so, yes. 98 to 2000. Yeah, because then Luis Gonzalez in 2001 in Game 7 off Mariano Rivera. Four straight World Series, man. Yeah, the Giants alternated years. The Cardinals had a gap. The Red Sox had a gap. So, yeah. And then for me, I have Cubs against Yankees, which is the World Series that every White Sox fan wants to see. Uh, I'm sure Fox would be very happy uh, as far as the ratings go. Uh, For that one, I have the Yankees. And I I don't know how you feel about the American League against the National League. I can see a sweep. I just think every team in the American League could relatively easily win the National League pennant. Like, I like Oakland better than any Hmm. of the National League teams. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, I, I think when it comes to the Yankees, they're just, uh, they've had to negotiate some injuries. So uh, that's the one thing I wonder about is just if they can get through a postseason grind on one piece. Mm, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, based on my picks last year, like picking Cleveland 
to win the World Series and then they lose. And the year before, picking Boston to win the World Series to give the last hurrah for David Ortiz and they got swept. I'm sure the Yankees are going to lose the one game playoff <laughs> in the wild card. Uh, and this would be all mute, but it'd be uh, great to hear what you guys think and what your postseason predictions are in the comments section on SoxMachine.com or tweet them to us at SoxMachine. But that's our Major League Baseball predictions. Jim is uneasy with his Dodgers Astros World Series pick. Hey, following your heart, okay? Not thinking about this logically. What is the ideal World Series matchup you'd like to see? I guess I would like Houston, um, Houston-Milwaukee. Hmm. Yeah, that'd be... That would be a good one. I think I would like to see. I'd like to see the Rockies. Not the Red. I like the Astros Rockies would be fun. Yeah. I would like to see how those Astros pitchers do in Coors Field. Yeah, no, Coors definitely makes a mess of games. It does. Which is, you know. Weather will be impacting as well. Yep. Yeah, you have that. You have, you know, all the, you know, short starts double switches and such. I think it does make a you know, course field, especially given uh, how short starters can last sometimes makes managers work harder. So there's more second guessing involved. Oh, that's one thing I don't care for necessarily, I guess in the age of, uh, you know, Twitter and everybody watching the game live is that it does make it more of a manager thing than a, a player thing. Uh, I, I like uh, post seasons where you just kind of blame either, either you blame or praise uh, the players doing the work rather than trying to make everything a, a, uh, micro decision. It's one thing when Buck Showalter doesn't pitch Zach Britton, despite every opportunity to do so. But when you have just kind of these, um, you know, pitching changes not quite working out, even if that makes sense, and you have, you know, turns more to Dave Roberts versus AJ Hinch versus you know players in the field. I think that's kind of annoying. So I'm hoping that there are no boneheaded decisions, and that's more about players succeeding and players failing, and uh, heroes and goats and everything like that. All right. So my last question about this MLB postseason. What is one player that you think will get hot and can take over this postseason? Huh. Do you have one in mind while I think about it? Mine is Alex Bregman for the Houston Astros. Yeah, and that's a good pick just because he's been kind of overshadowed, I guess, by everybody else. I think this could be a big one for Puig. Oh, that's a great one. I like that. He's been on fire lately. Yeah, and he seems to love love the attention. He does. Could you imagine what they'll do for the offseason? I mean, people could be knocking on the door. The the Dodgers have a lot of outfielders. Yep. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that was one that um, uh, Pete Chapman on Twitter mentioned Jock Peterson being a potential, yeah. uh, being of potential interest to the White Sox. And like, yeah, I think if, if all the veterans uh, solidify their spots with, you know, great postseasons and end up healthy and productive, then yeah, they have uh, quite a glut. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see who gets on fire. I mean, I remember Daniel Murphy for the New York Mets just went unconscious. Uh, Carlos Correa was just absolutely crazy. George Springer absolutely went crazy. Everyone in that World Series just went crazy offensively. No one could pitch. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with Bregman as the the one player. And I really like your Yasiel Puig. That would be, that'd be great to see him catch on fire. Again, let us know who you guys think will have a breakout performance in the postseason. But you guys also had some questions for us regarding the Chicago White Sox, and we're going to answer those next in P.O. Sox. 
Before we answer your questions on PO Socks, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust, and that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place, so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Every purchase on SeatGeek is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And by making SeatGeek your go-to ticket source, you can get everything from sports, concerts, to comedy, and theater. I use SeatGeek all season long with the Chicago White Sox because it's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets. You can also use SeatGeek for Chicago Bears tickets. That's a hot ticket right now in the city or any comedy and theater. You got to look ahead as far as the winter months especially if there are any big shows that you're looking to get tickets for. The best part is Sox Machine listeners get to save $20 off your first purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone or visit SeatGeek.com and use promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox. Resubmitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to us at Sox Machine, posting them on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Sox Machine. Or helping support the show by becoming a friend of the podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash socks machine. And of course, answer your questions is Jim. And Jim, the first question we have here comes from Alex. And Alex is asking, even though the homers have been missing, has Mikata's performance down the final stretch given you hope that he can post a more positive offensive turnaround in 2019? Yeah, there's a there's a foundation there. You know, looking at his September numbers, uh, his slash line, uh, 301 batting average, 369 on base percentage, 398 slugging. The slugging, you know, as he mentioned with the homers missing, is low. Also struck out 30% of the time, which is high. So, I think for a 30% strikeout rate, you'd like some homers in exchange for the uh, swinging and missing or taking strikes. But I think the the good news is that um, he managed to level out his platoon splits and that he was, uh, uh, 333, you know, 13 for 39, uh, over his last, uh, you know, 39 at bats against, uh, left-handed pitching as a right-handed batter, um, 395 OBP, 410, um, slugging. So, I mean, like he's leveled out a bit. Yeah. It kind of lost the impact from the left side, but right side, he was more of a hitter. So I think, you know, if he can maintain that, evenness or you know if, if that uh you know i guess if he poses more of a threat from the right side that should eliminate the you know kind of these gaps and outages in his season you know where he's just not kind of a sitting duck against a certain kind of pitcher you know he can be game planned around or you know, kind of uh, threatened later in the game you know that might be one way to you know pull him out of these funks and just make him more of a you know positive contributor throughout the season but i do think it you know it's more of a matter of his you know, kind of making the next step into, if not stardom, something short of stardom really comes to his approach and just figuring out what pitchers are doing to him with two strikes. Um, you know, a lot of cases you did get rung up on, you know, BS calls and you don't want to see him, uh, you know, kind of change his zone and, and 
be thrown out of whack. But at the same time, you did watch a lot of fastballs for strikes too. And I think uh, that, you know, that's something where hopefully experience, you know, kind of pays off for him in that regard. And then he's able to, um, you know, pull the trigger more with two strikes on, you know, good pitches, not just, you know, kind of expand the zone to fight pitches off. I think, you know, either doing one of those two things uh, will help get the strikeouts maybe below 200, maybe below 30%. And, you know, if he can take advantage of his strength, then I think he's more the player the White Sox envisioned, even if he's not like, say, a Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna type young phenom. He's at least an, a positive contributor, sometime all-star, and enough, you know, teamed with Michael Kopech to get enough back for Chris Sale. If he could reduce his strikeout rate by 10%, that would go a long way, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for high 20s. I think that's a good or enough. Reasonable. <laughs> yeah, reasonable. Well, it's it's more reasonable, and I think if he can do that, then I think he'll be, it'll give him enough of a shot to be a positive offensive contributor. And I think there's more improvement potentially in him, especially as he gets his swing, uh, you know, swings calibrated for major league pitching. But um, for next year, I, I think in the high twenties would be not not twenty nine point nine. I'd say something like, you know, twenty eight uh, mm-hmm. would be a nice step. Well, Alex, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Johan Dabrinsky. And Johan is asking, with 100 losses, most teams would change out many players. Yet the feeling seems that most players will be back. Outside of James Shields, who isn't back next year? Well, Shields could come back. <laughs> the White Sox do have uh, you know, potentially two openings in the rotation and they could use an innings eater and, you know, given his connection to the team, I wouldn't rule it out, but um, you know, assuming Shields is gone, I think the White Sox can make changes across the board. Um, you know, coming into the season, I don't think they got satisfactory answers at positions. Um, but I think in some cases, third base, they learned that Yolmer Sanchez is not an everyday third baseman. You know, more of a, a good bench guy, um, spot starter, but not an everyday third baseman. I think they can make a replacement there. I think in left field, you know, maybe they bring everybody back in left field because they're just looking for somebody to keep a seat warm for Elo Jimenez for a few weeks. And then he takes over. Um, but center field, I think is wide open again. I don't think Adam Engel proved it, although he's, you know, I think he's kind of a pitcher's best friend in a lot of ways, just is not showing enough with the bat. And it's just a lot. Two years is a lot of years of Adam Engel. And I think they would probably want to get away from that. Ryan Cordell didn't show anything. Charlie Tilson didn't show anything. So I think they can make an improvement there. Um, with, you know, whether it's signing a guy like AJ Pollock or a trade, you know, for, you know, some blocked outfielder, um, you know, the, the Adam Eaton type deal we talked about, you know, with, with the way the White Sox improved their outfield, uh, by getting somebody who was blocked in an organization, I could see them making a similar deal. I think that's a way to improve that position. And then, you know, adding a starter or two, um, it's not an overhaul, but I think, uh, with some prospects coming up, um, Knock on wood, if if Dane Dunning or Dylan Cease can somehow make the leap um, towards this back half of uh, 2019, um, then I think, you know, they don't have to get crazy with pitchers. But, you know, I I think if they can somehow change two or three starting positions and a couple spots in the rotation and have a backup plan in case Lucas Giolito does need to be optioned to AAA at some point in 2019, uh, that's, I guess, enough of a overhaul for one season and then... Um, at that point, they should have answers from their key positions to know exactly what they need to do for 2020. 
Yohan, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Pete Chapman. And Pete is asking, would you rather the White Sox spent big money on a player or two this offseason, spend money on veteran bridge guys to fill holes and put out a decent product, or have another year of rebuild with scrap heap vets and young guys in-house? I would like to see them make a legit run at Manny Machado. <laughs> you know, and we can all talk about it being a pipe dream, but... I think it is important for the White Sox to show that they want to spend, you know, and not be um, restricted to the Jose Abreu $68 million limits. Um, even if, you know, there's a lot of reasons for uh, Machado to go elsewhere to pick another team, pick another team that's winning already. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. I can see there being a lot of arguments, especially if he wants to play shortstop and he's not that good of a shortstop. The White Sox really need a third baseman. You know, it's not a perfect fit for, you know, both teams ideally, but I think it's important for the White Sox to make a run and and not just kind of a, you know, be in the conversation, but, you know, show interest and, you know, have something to say if he signs elsewhere. Um, so I, I think that's important. But I think uh, should it, should the market work out the same way it did last year to where there is a bunch of qualified veterans who are signing for less than they might, uh, you know, they might have signed for five years ago and you know, have something to offer for the 2019 season for the short term. Wouldn't mind them seeing fill it out. I don't want to see them, you know, kind of cast a wide net of second and third tier guys like they did, you know, with the, that, that ultimately handicapped the first rebuild with Samarja and, and Melky and LaRoche. I don't want to see them hang a plan on that. But I think if there are, you know, guys like the Moustakis here, who they signed for, you know, they signed for a pittance. Um, the White Sox, I think should get in on that too you know, win more games and have a more well-rounded roster and, and, you know, support pitching and everything like that. So, uh, I guess that would be the thing. And ultimately I would like to see, you know, an Eaton trade or two to shuffle around some young players and, uh, bring in some players who might not yet have, uh, um, hit their major league stride, but have a chance of doing so. And, you know, more so than just kind of a scrap heap or you know, like a Polka type scrap heap guy, but you know, more somebody with a, uh, you know, documentable track record. I think there are some, uh, some players and some trades available in that regard. So I would say ultimately, yes, plan a would be somebody like Machado plan, you know, and maybe see that Pollock, I think is just, uh, I, I like him as a player. I don't like the health record and I could see him just, uh, you know, signing for three years and, you know, 50 million and, and, and costing, um, you know, some amateur spending money and then just being a little bit like, uh, uh, you know, he, he plays 80 games and you're wondering, well, you know, what do you think you were getting when you look at his track record? So I, I'm a little bit, uh, as much as I like the player there and as much as I think he would fit what the White Sox are doing, I'm just hesitant to, um, sign anybody who could blow up on you for easily provable reasons. So I think, uh, yeah, spend dream big. And then, uh, don't be afraid to, uh, you know, kind of keep an eye on other guys who can help and might be underpriced and, and then try to swing some trade. So I just wouldn't want to see them, you know, try to make a push for 75 wins with veterans who don't have much to offer and, and might be, you know, I wouldn't go all out for those guys, but I would sign, you know, one and two year deals. Pete, thank you so much for your question. And that will do it for this week's P.O. Sox questions. Thank you guys so much for submitting questions to the show. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle 
on a future episode. Again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine and help support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast. Sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine where our supporters get additional content with every single show. Also get additional content from writing for those that read the top 10 players that I selected for the 2019 Major League Baseball draft watch list. Our Patreon supporters got a top 25 list. So if you like additional content from us every single week, again, go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up and help support socks machine today. And that will do it for this edition of the socks machine podcast. In the following weeks, upcoming weeks in the month of October, we will be breaking down and highlighting each episode on position groups, pitchers, hitters, the front offices, and then finally recapping our offseason plans. So we're going to be asking a lot of questions for you guys, a lot of feedback as far as on how you think the White Sox season went for key positions. You'll see those forms and those surveys on SoxMachine.com. So make sure when we do post them, to fill that out and let us know and we're going to open up the voicemail line so you guys can chime in with your thoughts and we'll have those part of the show so again check out that information for the upcoming episodes all the way through the month of october if you just discovered the socks machine podcast you can subscribe in a variety of ways one is through itunes another is spotify you can also subscribe through google Podcasts and audioboom.com slash socks machine the Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X by gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.